0: For your support, it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Thursday, June fourteenth, twenty eighteen. All right, put your thinking caps on, grinding on an idea, and I'm going to uh, start to use it today, although it's probably a little undercooked. Uh, That's all right. We'll cook it along the way. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there, there is just no shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently uh, we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward by these people, it's far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. It's completely bonkers, and and it's just really weird. And so when we do the comparative work, and th- this is kind of where I'm going to start to deviate from the normal uh, fighting for the faith template, if you would, When you listen to this, what we often do is we're comparing how they're using God's Word. But one of the things I've noticed over the past couple of years is that uh, these false teachers are using God's Word less and less and less and less. And, of course, when they handle the biblical text, it's abysmal. It's, It's not done right at all. But one of the things I've come to identify is that these guys are doing something very similar to what the um, serpent did in the garden. And what he did in the garden was use a false narrative and these narratives these themselves are where the lies are and how people kind of get off track. And uh, and so today's going to be one of these Think Along With Me episodes. I do these from time to time, but I, I'm grinding on a few things. Uh, there's a book I've been reading, actually several books I've been reading that have kind of opened my eyes to how this works. And if, if any of you are familiar uh, with the Canadian uh, psychologist uh, 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 Jordan Peterson, he, this is an f- interesting fellow because he, this is a guy who makes no bones about the fact that he's an atheist, but somehow has found value, a- and I mean this, value, it like like you-can't-get-rid-of-it kind of value. It's indispensable kind of value in the biblical narratives. And so I've been uh, reading his maps of meaning and things like this, and it's got me thinking. It's got me thinking uh, along the lines of, what narratives are these people, these false teachers using, and so uh, one of the things we 're going to be doing starting today and today 's our think along program we're we 're going to be examining narratives as well as how they 're handling biblical text i 'm not sure how this is going to weave in, and uh, it, since this is kind of my first foray into really identifying this particular thing then, uh, you know, it's going to be one of those things. We're going to get better at it as we go. But uh, I, I said that the serpent used this, and let me explain uh, what I mean by that. If you're familiar with the uh, the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis, uh, the, uh, the serpent used a narrative against Adam and Eve. But actually, it's more than against Adam and Eve. It was an interesting narrative that was against Adam god himself it was against christ and it's very fascinating when you read the gospel of john and you consider what jesus says there that when the devil lies he is speaking from his own character uh-huh and that he was a murderer and a beginning uh, you know a murderer and a liar from the beginning you know referring back to the garden of eden Uh, But uh, so uh, going back then to the Garden of Eden, uh, there's something very interesting that happens that if you kind of look at it from this point of view, uh, the lies that the devil told uh, were in the form of a narrative. And the devil is actually ridiculously sneaky in, in how he lays out the narrative because it implies certain things and he is basically making him out making himself out to be uh you know have information that Adam and Eve do not have and trying to paint himself as the good guy if you would and let's take a look at it genesis chapter 3 verse 1 it says now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the lord god had made he said to the woman and so he, here's the serpent speaking now to the woman Eve are the mother of us all, really, in a in a very real way. I mean, we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. Uh, he said to the woman, "Did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden?" Number one, she, uh, the the devil, if he, he were respectable, and he's not, uh, he would have been talking to Adam. Why? And we learn later that Adam's there the whole time. But uh, so subverting the uh, the creation order that God set up he's having his conversation with the woman and the question itself that he asked did god really say that you shall not eat of any tree that's in the garden the devil purposely twisted god's words here totally mangled them uh and it it's it gets eve really off track it's it she's off balance if you would and so the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruits of the trees that's in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit that, of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, the details are fuzzy here, because uh, we, we learn in Genesis chapter 2 that God didn't say you can't touch it. He said, on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And now here comes the narrative, and it's quite Fascinating, and the part of the reason why it 's fascinating is because this is where everything gets t- turned upside down inside out, and the devil, you know the serpent who who is here to deceive uh, our first parents is um, is is really using this very subtle and compressed narrative to do a, a lot of work. And uh, so let's uh, take a look then at at the narrative itself. Here's what he says. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, which ends up making God a liar. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, it's short, it's compressed, but that's a narrative. And it is a false narrative. And and what he is doing is like unmistakable and and so so the, the statement alleges you know that god lied that god straight up lied to adam and eve just did not tell them the truth at all and you know when when the the serpent says you will not surely die god lied to you he's just making idle threats is kind of how the narrative works that's the implications of what what the serpent said and so then the rest of the narrative builds off of that so the statement that uh, follows you know you know follows uh, you know alleges the motive it, for god saying the things he did was a lie And here's the reason why he said it. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The narrative, it's subtle, it's unmistakable in its assertions that God is not a good God. Instead, apparently, the way the devil is painting God out to be, God is insecure. God is jealous. That's the implications of the narrative that the devil is is, uh, speaking here. So the serpent, by the way, is projecting here because Jesus had noted you know, in the Gospel of John, that when the ser- when the devil speaks, he speaks out of his own character. So in accusing God of being insecure and jealous, the the serpent is making it sound like God doesn't want Adam and Eve to reach their full potential. So therefore, God in this narrative is holding Adam and Eve back, and by doing so, God is literally oppressing them and victimizing them. You see, the serpent here in this narrative is presenting himself As a confident liberator, a truthful freedom fighter, and the one who will release them from the oppression of this insecure, jealous, and deceitful, and abusive God who is holding them back. In this narrative, the serpent alone knows the entire story. In this narrative, the serpent is only trying to help them. The serpent, of course, will be owed a huge debt of uh, you know for his advocacy and assistance. So, eat the fruit, and you'll see that God was lying. That's the implications of the narrative. Eat the fruit, and you will achieve your full potential. Eat the fruit, and you can release the invisible bonds of ignorance that god has bound you with because of his issues and his insecurities eat the fruit and be free it'll be glorious you'll be glorious the serpent is kind of implying and so they listen to the narrative this false narrative of the serpent and the narratives call for action yeah that's the point is that the narrative actually was calling them to action calling them to eat the fruit, free themselves from this jealous and insecure and lying God. And in so doing, they brought this misery on ourselves. So noting that then is that uh, this narrative that the serpent uses is a technique that he uses today. Now, this is going to—I'm going to—as I'm—again, you're thinking along with me today. As we think along with this, I want you to consider, then, the importance of creeds. Now, let me—I know some of you are going, what? The creeds are important? Yeah. the One of the reasons why the creeds are important, aside from the fact they are a correct, succinct summary of what Scripture says— what I find very fascinating is like the Nicene Creed gives us a narrative. And that narrative is vital for a proper understanding of Scripture. Let me explain. Here's what it says in the Nicene Creed I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. So, in this Nicene Creed narrative, we're going to learn about Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but we're also going to learn why Jesus came, and that God himself is creator, and then we're going to learn about the Redeemer, and then we're, we can talk about sanctification and judgment, but this is a very succinct little narrative that we have here, and so, and then second part of this, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, And then here's the important phrase, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven. Now, note, uh, the Nicene Creed doesn't explicitly say that humanity fell and that humanity sinned and was in need of a savior. No, it doesn't explicitly say it. Instead, it implies it. It implies it in the narrative when it says that Jesus Christ, who for us men and for our salvation, came down from heaven. And then we get details. He was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. He was made man. He was crucified also, and listen to the words, for us under Pontius Pilate. So the substitutionary atonement of Christ is not explicitly said in so many words. But in saying he was crucified for us and for our salvation, yeah, you, you, you get the idea. The narrative itself is telling the story. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, was buried. Third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, ascended into heaven, he and sits at the right hand of, of the Father. He will come again to, uh, if, with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. It, you, you get the idea Here is The Nicene Creed gives us a proper, succinct summary of Scripture in its details, but also in a narrative format That helps us rightly understand scriptures. And so when the prosperity preacher comes along, they give you a different narrative. God wants you to be wealthy. Jesus died to make you rich. And and by rich, he means like wealthy, like billionaire here and now. That's the idea. It's a different narrative narrative altogether. The reason why Joel Osteen preaches the way he preaches is because at the core of his theology is a false and demonic narrative. Now, you can take this concept and then apply it to kind of the bigger conflict that's happening here in uh, the United States, and I would even say in Western civil- civilization, as it relates to uh, you know constitutional and republic Conservatives, I have to kind of say it that way, um, a, a, as opposed to uh, liberal social justice warriors, two completely different narratives. Social justice warriors, the narrative that they're putting forward is that if you are a white, straight male, you are part of an oppressive class and a, an oppressive group of people and that oppressive group is suppressing and holding down and victimizing uh, different uh, different groups of people, women, minorities and, and things like that. And their social justice is them rising up and toppling and overthrowing the white straight, males who are oppressing and victimizing as, as kind of like a you know a, a, you know it's a, it's an act of liberation against this now donald trump I don't, I don't care what you think about donald trump the reality of the situation is is that donald trump well the reason why he makes these people crazy is because of his narrative make america great again I, I, again, this is not about politics, but what you can see when you analyze it in that in this view is you have a two completely different and competing narratives. One narrative does not buy into the social justice warrior narrative that straight white men are oppressors and victimizing you know women and minorities and you know, LGBTq people and all this kind of stuff and instead is buying into a narrative that h- America historically has not been oppressive but America has been great and has done good in the world and in you know in w- even within its own country with its citizens and the social justice warriors buying into their which i would say is a completely skewed false narrative they're out there basically not allowing the narrative their narrative to be challenged is, which is what Trump is doing all the time now, all of that being said, this is just introductory thoughts that i 'm trying to kind of place into your head to kind of get you thinking along these lines as we examine we 're going to look at two different people in hour number one, and then uh, we 're going to listen to uh, Jurgen Mathesius in hour number two and we're going to be analyzing not only uh, not, and not only, you know, how they're using scripture, but we're going to pay attention to how their false narrative is what's driving their false doctrine. And it's where the action really is in their false doctrine. It's in the narrative because they it's What they are saying is just so outrageous. But so anyway, you you get the idea. So you're thinking along with me. So let's talk about what we're going to do with what remains of today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to start off with a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange syndicate update. We're going to be listening to Katie Sousa, Katie Sousa, and uh, she's going to explain to us how God does miracles while you sleep. I mean, it's utterly absurd, but it's... It's essential in its absurdity to kind of begin to train you to look for these narratives because these narratives are what's driving the false doctrine. Somewhere in there, we're going to have to take a break, and then, uh, and then we will be listening to Todd White. Now, have any of you listened to Todd White? This is the fellow who you know, goes around and you know, with his, he's got his dreadlocks. He's lifestyle Christianity guy and you know, claims to operate in the miraculous and all this kind of stuff. And we're gonna be listening to part of a message that he delivered titled Or How Hungry Are You? How Hungry Are You? And this is a longer segment. I granted, I, I understand that it's longer and that you know and that you know might just you know, cause some of you to weep and gnash your teeth. But aside from that, as we listen to this, his narrative is where his false doctrine lies. And it's it's not overtly stated. Some of it's implied. And so we'll, we'll take a look at that. And then in hour number two, like I said, we'll head to C3 Church San Diego and listen to Jürgen Mathesius again, listening to listening for these narratives and how the false doctrine is really coming out through these narratives. So... Make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground that we need to cover since we're going to start with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update. Let's do this.
1: Oh. Hallelujah. Hey.
0: Woo. Hey. Hey. Get up right now. Yes. Uh, Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda. So we're heading over to the uh, YouTube channel of Katie Sousa and listening to a portion of her message titled, God Does Miracles While You Sleep. It's utterly absurd. I, I admit that. But the absurdity is in the narrative, and that's the important part. Here's Katie Sousa.
2: Hi, I'm Katie Sousa, and you're watching Healing Your Soul, Real Keys to the Miraculous, How would you like to have secrets revealed to you while you slept? Yeah. Secrets while I slept. That would be great. How do I do that? Yeah. Solve any issue or have an angel come in the night to defeat every demonic spirit that's been assaulting you. God's desire is to lead you successfully through every difficult circumstance you're facing.
0: All right. So there's part of her narrative. God desires to lead you successfully through any difficult circumstances, and so he's going to do what it takes, uh, miracles in the night, angelic visitations, uh, revelations while you sleep, because it's all about, you see, here's the thing, that's a completely different narrative than what scripture says. Scripture doesn't reveal that God desires to help you overcome difficult circumstances. In fact, Over and again, when you read Scripture, we are called to patiently endure and persevere in the midst of difficult circumstances. So what Katie Sousa is doing here is kind of painting a narrative that's more akin to what you might see in a video game. You know that the you know the ga- the, the, the gamer who the, the company that made the video game wants you to succeed, and so they 'll do different strategies to kind of give you the information or the power ups or whatever necessary so that you can succeed but th- this is really a weird narrative
2: Sometimes he will give you a strategy to solve problems while you 're sleeping or even taking a nap. This is part two of our series, Miracles in the Night. There are many biblical examples of people receiving breakthroughs while they slept.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So so apparently, you know, the, the, when you hear a people that experience something in the middle of the night, that was an example of what she's talking about here, you know. The false narrative that she's putting forward, she's now going to go hunt and peck in Scripture in order to find passages that she can kind of shoehorn into there. See, see, the narrative is true. the The narrative itself is utterly false and ridiculous.
2: Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled him greatly. He told all his wise men in Babylon, including Daniel, that he was going to kill them unless they could tell him what his dream was. So Daniel prayed for the answer. Then when he went to sleep, the Bible says that the dream and its interpretation was revealed to him during the night.
0: Whoa, you see, you can have this too. Now, of course, here's kind of the interesting thing. There's a subtext to this narrative. And the subtext is that Katie Sousa, she has all she's figured this all out. And she she is experiencing this, you know, it oodles in her life. And so if you want to well experience breakthrough and miracles and have God talk to you while you sleep and stuff, you know, the way God did with Daniel and the way you know God's presently doing with Katie Sousa, because she's super spiritual in that way. Uh, Then, you know, you got to send her money and stuff. Uh, Yeah, that's literally what it ends up boiling down to.
2: Then there's the story of how the angel of the Lord came and killed 185,000 soldiers that had Jerusalem completely surrounded. The battle was won while the people inside the city slept safely in their beds.
0: Right, and the whole reason why that happened is so that you can know. You, you can experiencing these things for yourself as well. Didn't you know that you can have the, the, you know, God destroy your enemies at night while you sleep miracle thingy? I mean, Katie Seuss is experiencing it.
2: Peter was imprisoned, shackled and asleep yeah. between two soldiers when the angel of the Lord came and broke him out of his imprisonment. The Bible's full of stories of people getting miracles while they slept. Right. Yeah.
0: See? And so the narrative then is is that all of these are an example of what God wants to do in your life, too. And the narrative itself is ridiculous. It's not true. It's totally deceitful.
2: I Got into a car accident and broke two ribs. And God healed them only 14 days after it happened. And he did it during the night while I was sleeping. Right.
0: Because notice what she just did there. She put herself... In the same list as Daniel and the Apostle Peter and and the the inhabitants of Jerusalem mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. Oh, this this yeah, this woman yeah. She, see, she's figured it out. I mean, and the whole thing is is the narrative is designed to make you believe that she is super special, that she has figured something out that no other biblical scholar has ever discovered before. You you can't find this teaching in the Church Fathers or anything like that. But see, what she's done is she started off with a false narrative, and now she's forcing the Scriptures into that narrative.
2: let you know, ribs don't heal in 14 days. No. This was an accelerated miracle that happened when I was just sleeping in the presence of the Lord. Uh.
0: Um. What and, and so no. The, the the narrative makes her super super. I mean, maybe she glows in the dark or something. You know, and see, and and that's the whole point. The narrative makes you go, well, I
3: I never get any
0: miracles at night. What makes her so special? How come I don't get these things happening to me and 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 she she does. You see, that's the whole point. You see, this is designed to make you believe in her Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, the, the, this is the super spiritual glow in the dark woman of God, yeah.
2: You like to experience miracles in the night? Well, you can. It happened in the Bible, so it can happen to you too.
0: Yeah, so and she's going to un- unlock this all for us and give us the keys so how we can have miracles in the night. I
2: even had a visitation while I slept that led to my husband and I receiving a quarter of a million dollar miracle.
0: Yeah, see, I mean, wouldn't you like a quarter of a million dollars showing up at your house while you slept uh, or took a nap? I mean, see, it, 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 how come I never get a quarter of a million dollars sent to me while I sleep? Why is she so special and I'm not? That's the point. The narrative is designed to make you trust her and believe her. And yet the stories she's telling are absurd. And her, her mishandling of scripture should identify her for what she is she's a false teacher
2: he's broadcast i'm going to give you the keys on how to position yourself to walk in this supernatural miracle working realm if you put these precepts to work you're going to see more breakthroughs than you ever have to... oh
0: see i gotta put precepts to work so that i can experience see she's put these precepts to work for her that's why she gets the nighttime miracle thingy which precepts would those be
2: 4 let's go to the conference now. God repaired my ribs in the night while I slept.
0: She's just a straight up tale, you know, storyteller, this woman. And by the way, the, based on where she where, you know, the background, she's uh speaking for Patricia King at something that Patricia King was putting together.
2: Did you hear what I said? Yeah, well, yeah. You need to start positioning yourself for this to happen to you.
0: Right, yeah. How do I go about positioning? See, the narrative assumes that, you know, you don't know. You don't know that you had to position yourself. So now you're sitting there going, well, Katie Souza gets this. It's in the Bible. How come I'm not getting it? Well, the reason why you're not getting it is because you haven't positioned yourself for the nighttime miracle. You see, God wants to do this for you, but, you know, you haven't properly positioned yourself the way Katie has. And so the way then you can have nighttime miracles is by, you know, positioning yourself. Which position? I don't know. Maybe the fetal position. Maybe you should sleep on your back. Maybe you should sleep on your tummy. I don't know which position is necessary for you to experience nighttime miracles. But the whole thing is, is that the narrative itself is utterly absurd and the narrative is what's driving this and the narrative is where the lies are
2: because a lot of you've had a disease or disorder or a trouble or a bodily affliction or you're having financial issues or your marriage is in danger or you're being mentally or emotionally oppressed
0: but that's the list of people she's praying on prey you know i mean in a large group of people all right what are the chances that a percentage a significant percentage of the people in the in the room would be experiencing difficulties along those lines and see it, She's preying on the fact that those people are experiencing these problems. She's going to get them to trust her, that she's applied these mystical principles and positioned herself. And and she gets miracles in that. So they can get miracles, too, to experience relief and breakthrough when it comes to these afflictions that she's listed.
2: You can go to sleep and awaken in his likeness. You can go to sleep and awaken in his likeness. Did you hear what I said? You know, you can get more done in the night (laughs) than you. (laughs) Yeah,
1: you get more done in the night, yeah.
2: In the day. Yeah. Because your spirit man never gets tired. Your body's exhausted. It goes to bed, but your spirit takes off. Your spirit can take off and do stuff. It can go.
0: It it, it can. My spirit man can take off and do stuff. No, No biblical text says this they 're believing the narrative. this is why they don 't actually open up their Bibles. They believe the narrative is true, and this hooks into then the broader charismatic and Pentecostal movements' narrative and that narrative is that uh, that God has restored to the earth uh, prophets and apostles and special sp- special people. That we haven't seen forever and these guys have a direct line to god and to question them well that's to question god and to deny the you know the charismatic gifts even exist you know if you question them you don't even believe in the modern day manifestation of the gifts and worse if you question them you could commit the sin of blaspheming the holy spirit so what these people have to say must be believed it must be spoken because because if you don't believe her and you challenge what she's saying and you question the narrative and question the veracity of what she's saying, then what happens is, is because it's in the wider context of their false narrative about signs and wonders and all this kind of stuff and the charismatic gifts, the whole enterprise would come down. One question strategically asked against the narrative ...could cause the whole superstructure of the charismatic movement to fall. And that's the truth.
2: Places. It can take care of problems. It's in the eternal glory realm. It can travel to help friends and family. It can go get finances and provisions and bring them back.
0: Is your spirit man going and getting finances in the middle of the night while you sleep and bringing them back? No scripture says this.
2: Your spirit is always awake. Did you hear what I said? Your spirit is always awake. So it can activate, do things. I mean, I've been taken, literally, not just translated, but transported in the Spirit at night while I slept. I can remember once I was struggling with this.
0: This sounds like astral projection, which is a New Age practice, not a Christian one. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach you you to, to do this or that you can do this
2: sickness and oppression and i mean i had bodily sickness i had mental and emotional oppression no matter what i did i couldn't break it and i finally said god i'm gonna go to sleep tonight and i'm gonna believe you're gonna do something great for me while i sleep because it's all over the bible you're gonna do something like you did for abraham for me cut covenant with me make something exciting happen and he did i remember all of a sudden i was taken transported in the spirit, to another place. It was this old house, and I knew this house represented somebody in my bloodline. That ha- she's
0: just, again, making stuff up. Totally bogus narrative, just storytelling. And to question her is to question the whole charismatic enterprise, and yet it is so clear that what she's doing is just a mangling of God's word. But again, the the lies itself... It's all in the narrative, and that's the problem. So, question these narratives. Question the veracity of the person telling these narratives. These narratives are a different narrative than what Scripture teaches, because Scripture doesn't teach that... God wants you to somehow go and activate your spirit man and send him out to go get provisions and finances while you sleep and stuff. That's a, that's a nonsensical narrative and a bogus story from a woman who clearly is motivated by greed. That's the reason why she's saying these things, and she's taking advantage of the fact that in the charismatic movement, the narrative is, is if you challenge these people. If you question the veracity of their stories, then you are siding with the devil and those who are speaking against the the gifts of the Spirit, the cessationists. And worse, you may even be guilty of committing the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which would then mean you're going to go to hell. But the reality is, is that this is all a false, bogus, stupid, I mean just like dumb. Dumb narrative, and uh, the fact that people are falling for this is plays on their greed and their fear. Very sad indeed. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. When we come back, we're going to be listening to Todd White and debunking his false narrative. It's a very interesting one. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
1: Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
3: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine. now. <laughs> presents church Day select captain an enemy vessel off the starboard bow!
0: What colors are they flying?
3: They're flying the code orange flag. It's the SSF Audacity.
0: This is our chance, men. This egregious foe has been plaguing the seas for long enough. To arms! Man the battle stations and hoist the colors. Aye, aye, sir. Man the battle stations and hoist the colors.
3: Approaching. They're flying the
2: accursed Cairo flag. It's the HMS
3: Aletheia. Oh dear, that's bad news. We mustn't let them get the better of us. Call it the praise band, drummer, and man battle station. Aye, aye, sir. You heard the man. Get to work. Come on, keep going. The
0: Captain, sir, they're turning to meet us. With this clear weather, we couldn't have had the element of surprise. Well, no, matter. We have the wind on our side and our men are ready. We should be pulling up alongside them any minute now. Give me a status report! Sir,
3: the enemy ship has us outgunned by at least three to one. The gunner's mates are reporting that we're running low on gunpowder, and half the crew is suffering from Montezuma's revenge. Never fear, my good man, for it says that, with God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. If you say so, Captain Furtick. They're now within firing range, Captain.
0: Mr. Smithers, send them a... Uh, hang on, let me do this myself. Send them a warning shot off of their port bow.
4: Fire cannons, are sir!
3: That was merely a warning shot, Captain. They could have very well have hit us. I think they wished for us to surrender to avoid bloodshed. Nonsense! You think we would surrender in an hour of triumph? God has clearly stated that no weapon formed against you will prosper. We can't lose! Let loose the cannons! But, but we're not within... Silence! If I wanted your opinion, I'd have given it to you! I say, FIRE! I've never seen a warning shot where they used all their cannons before. The blasted
0: fool shot before he was in range! I can only assume that he means to not surrender. Quickly, fire a barrage into the port side while they reload! Aye aye, sir. FIRE THE CANNONS!
3: Ha! You call that an attack? I have God on my side. He said this to me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Why, why aren't we firing our cannons? We've now lost half our cannons due to the last attack. Come on, men. We can't lose. Aye, aye, sir.
0: Are they even trying anymore? By all accounts, I believe they are. Let's pull up alongside and see if we can't reason with them. It would be bad form to slaughter them without mercy. Hello, over there!
3: Go away! We have nothing to say to you!
0: I wanted to negotiate the terms of your surrender.
3: My surrender? Ha! It is you who will be surrendering to us!
0: What on earth is he talking about, Captain? Maybe he's suffering from malnutrition and heatstroke? No, I, I think he's serious. Now look here! You're outgunned with no way of winning! We wish to show you mercy! No weapon formed against us will prosper! Why is he quoting the Bible? No, a quote would require a context. What he's done is called proof texting.
3: Enough talk, men! Ready, aim, then. What was that? I couldn't hear you over the sound of your mass being demolished. But, but hey, No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us!
0: Oh, would you look at that? Your rudder is gone, too. <clears throat> It'll be a little difficult for you to sail without it, don't you think?
3: I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly.
0: Is it me? Or is your ship now sinking? Nah, Maybe it is me.
3: The God of Peace will do crush Satan under your feet. With grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... with you if it's all the same to you I think we've lost this fight I surrender Geronimo take me with you I can't take another minute with this lunatic stop it stop it right now all of you come back we 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 can't lose we have God on our side we shall prevail we will
0: Well, that was surprisingly easy. Makes me wonder how they were even viewed as a threat in the first place. Most inept sailors to ever sail the seven seas. For additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
3: Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now, at Pirate Christian Media, have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe.
0: Listening to Fighting for the Faith uh, could cause you to properly identify false narratives, uh, doctrines of demons, if you would. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly contribution. Uh, Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the donate. Button if you would like to become a patron via Patreon, click on the become a patron button. And of course, if you'd like to make uh, you know to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344 Grand Forks. North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's uh, reset the table. We're going to do another Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, this one with Todd White. But let's do this. At an English fair, one evening I was there when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. And give them a twist, a flick of the wrist. That's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a ball, a penny a pitch.
3: Roll a ball, roll a ball, sing and roll a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll-a-ball-a-ball, roll-a-ball-a-ball,
0: yeah, that's right. I got a lovely bunch of coconuts. So uh, we're going to be listening to a, a message delivered by Todd White titled, How Hungry Are You? Now, Todd White is one of these fellows, he's a little tough to nail down. And the reason why he's, a t- he's, he's tough to nail down is because you oftentimes people don't consider him in light of the narrative that he is speaking. And so the narrative that we are going to hear Todd White giving is the narrative that says that he has the ability to somehow lead people to the experience that he's experienced, which will then lead to the miraculous happening as a normal part of your life. And more importantly, though, the, the miraculous ability to overcome sin in your life and basically walk the earth as in, in a way that sounds crazy close to sinless. That's kind of Todd White's shtick. The reason why he is so popular is because rather than preaching prosperity or health and wealth, which is in part what he does do, by the way, he is instead putting forward this idea that you can have miraculous abilities to not sin. And just like he has. And that's where the narrative really goes off the rails. And we'll explain that to you from scripture. But uh, without any further ado, here's Todd White and how hungry are you? All right.
1: I'm going to try to share my heart and stay focused. Okay. Okay. She, oh, yeah, Jesus. I'm, I'm focused. Can I have keys? Ho! Thank you. Wow. Are you guys ready? Okay, so, so here's my heart. There's a lot of people, um, there's people that always like, they want, they're like, I want you to pray for me. So tonight, I really feel in my heart that I'm supposed to lay hands on everyone. Everyone that, everyone that, well we'll see
0: so notice when he said i feel in my heart that's code talk for i have received a direct revelation from god this is now part of the false narrative that he's spinning and the false narrative is that me and god we're so tight that uh that god talks to me directly And if you have had the encounters that I have had, then you'd be hearing God speaking to you the same way he speaks to me. But see, that's kind of the point is that this is a narrative that's about Todd White and how special Todd White is and how you can be special like Todd White is special, too. That's, the, that's where the false narrative really falls apart and where it's really heading. And it begins with this, oh, I, I've heard from the Lord, and I'm supposed to may, lay my hands on everybody today. Uh-huh, right. No, and I'm, there's
1: a thing called impartation, where you pray and you impart. I am not ordaining you into leadership. Are you with me? So please don't put that notch on your belt. And say, Todd White ordained me in the leadership. I'm not. I am praying for a transference of what God's placed upon my life to be upon yours.
0: All right, you catch that? So there, there. So he's not. In, this isn't an impartation. It's a transference. Uh huh. A, tra- a transference of what God has done in His life. It's going to be transferred to you too. So apparently, this is kind of like, uh, you know, a, a disease that uh, that you catch via casual contact if you would, but notice the emphasis is on him. Let me back that up. I'm going to back it up 10 seconds and listen again as he says he's going to impart something. And it, where the, the thing that God gave him, he's going to, he's going to transfer it to the people there. That knot's on your belt
1: and say, Todd White ordained me in the leadership. I'm not, I am praying for a transference of what God's placed upon my life to be upon yours.
0: Right. See, he has it, and you can, you, God's going to transfer it to you, too. Again, this is about how super duper special Todd White is. I'll ask the same question of him that I asked of Katie Sousa. Does Todd White glow in the dark? Okay, so, but before, before we do that, I want to... Now, did you notice this? Cue sappy music. So what's happening right now is that there's a guy on a Yamaha keyboard who's just begun playing subtly in the background. That is a technique designed to manipulate people's emotions. And in charismatic and Pentecostal churches, people are like Pavlov's dog, trained that uh, when you hear the subtle strings in the background, that's supposed to be a signal that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending and that important things are about to happen. And this is all just emotional manipulation.
1: I dare what my heart cry has been and what my pursuit has been. Because, see, if you dare to do this,
0: everything changes. If you dare to do the thing that Todd White has dared to do, then everything will change in your life, too. Uh, Again, this is about, you know, some people are into the prosperity heresy. His is like the personal holiness heresy. And, And I'm not saying that Christians can't be sanctified. That's not it at all. Or that Christians cannot do good works or grow in their holiness and sanctification. That's not what I'm saying at all. What i'm saying is is that this guy is literally selling a product, and the product is miraculous holiness miraculous uh like instantaneous what what are you, what are you struggling with is it drugs is it alcohol is it a sex uh, sexual addiction is it name the name the problem oh you he's going to transfer this thing to you that he has that will just literally obliterate it in a second. Uh-huh.
1: I am praying for a baptism of the Holy
0: Spirit and fire upon your life. But I'm telling you that... Yeah, Scripture's clear in Ephesians 4. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One, one What is this baptism he is referring to? It's a different one altogether. It's not a biblical one.
1: My pursuit in this has been the pursuit for the fear of the Lord to be the priority in my life. That is the only thing that will keep you clean.
0: That is the only thing. So he has pursued the fear of the Lord in his life, and this is the thing that's keeping him clean, and it's the only thing that will keep you clean. Notice he's not preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Uh-huh. Now, let me read a text for you that will be very helpful here, and it's in uh, 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, and here's what it says, uh, starting in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So the person who comes along and says, I do not sin anymore, I am experiencing sinless righteousness in my life. That person according to first John one eight is deceiving themselves and and the truth is not in them. They are straight up a liar. Straight up. So if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And this is where Todd White now is going to cross the line, because he's saying it but not saying it. Putting himself forward as a guy who, well, he you know he he's so devoted so focused so having encounters with god that sin is a thing of the past uh-huh and he can transfer this to you as well apparently and yet when we compare the narrative to what scripture says we see that the narrative falls woefully short will keep you from being hurt
1: by people that is the only thing that will make you hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. And part of what God really, really, I mean, not part, but what God really loves is people. People get messed up and they say mean things and they, they say ridiculous things. They slander, they do whatever, but they
0: yeah, the commandment says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's not a ridiculous or stupid thing. That's called sin, sin, S I N not your war. And if you get offended
1: by that, you're still in the way. I have
0: had this happen since the beginning of my life in Christ.
1: I've had family
0: members that are very. So he's the guy who's, he is the guy who's figured it out. He's got the inside track. He can, he can transfer this to you, you know,
1: very upset and disagree. I've had my wife that we get married after nine years of hell on earth and we both become Christians. And then I believe that God wants to use me and she doesn't not in the way that I was seeing it in the Bible. I I was a heathen. I was as twisted and as whacked as could be. And then in the blink of an eye, God changed my heart
0: blink of an eye, but just like that. God changed his heart. Boom like that. And see, you can have this boom change of heart thing as well apparently because he can transfer this to you and change me into a different man i pursued jesus in my bedroom i shut off tv
1: i walked away from everything
0: drugs so this is like a monastery kind of thing now i'm going to back this up so you can hear the context of what's coming after this
1: jesus in my bedroom i shut off tv i walked away from everything Drugs, pornography, everything. God clipped that stuff off my life, and I saw in my Bible.
0: All right, so drugs, pornography, everything, including television. That's just like that, just gone, 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 and you can have this too. So what he's trafficking in is miraculous, supernatural, instantaneous sanctification and holiness. Uh-huh. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That I was supposed to pursue Jesus when no one was looking. Yeah, by the way, uh, the Lord's Prayer, which for some reason a lot of people challenge whether or not it's a prayer that we should actually pray. Yeah, you should actually pray it. In the Lord's Prayer, which is a daily prayer, mm-hmm, how do I know? Well, it's real simple, Okay. It's based upon the frequency of how often we as human beings eat. And uh, in the Lord's Prayer, we do not pray for a week's worth of groceries. We do not pray for a month's supply of Costco uh, food buckets or anything like that. No, we pray for what? Daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread, which means you're going to need to pray this again tomorrow. As part of what the Lord taught us as Christians to pray, we pray these words, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's part of a daily prayer. Todd Todd White here is um, pulling a fast one. He's putting himself forward as a fellow who, oh, just instantly, miraculously, at the blink of an eye, just... There it was, God just clipped off all of these terrible sins in his life, pornography and, and alcohol and drugs and all these other unholy things. And just in an instant, they were all gone. Mm-hmm. And he can transfer this encounter to you as well by the laying on of hands. So
1: part of that pursuit and pursuit of Jesus when no one's looking is being in the secret place and pulling away. And in the beginning, my wife didn't understand. I was the guy that used to watch TV all night. I was the guy that used to stay up later than my than my little kid because I could go and get high and get drunk after she went to bed. And every night, it was the same routine that I needed to get high, I needed to get drunk, I needed to party until I passed out. And that was a constant routine. And I was out on coke, all kinds of twisted stuff. But when I got saved, like, I got saved from lust. I got saved from from the pornography thing. I got saved from the lust of the world, pursuing the things of the world, because it never makes you happy. Like I said, the world, God doesn't mind you having stuff, but He minds that stuff having you. That stuff can't be priority in your life. Your kids can't even be that stuff that's priority in your life.
0: Now, this next part proves that he's a straight-up false teacher. What he does with the text from Genesis. Listen in.
1: Abraham had Isaac, and Abraham, none of us understand that. Like, none of us. But, I mean, we understand it in theory, but Abraham was a buck. He was a 100 years old. Like, he was a century old and had a son, and his name was Isaac. Now, at a 100 years old, you're going to really be into the boy that you thought you'd never have. You have an Ishmael, and an Ishmael wasn't the promise. Sarah,
0: You, you have an Ishmael. I, I, I haven't had an Ishmael. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: I to force the hand of God by saying, go into Hagar, and we'll have, the, we'll have the baby that we need. I mean, we have to fulfill the promise. Who knows that you can't help God fulfill your promise?
0: So notice what you just said. That you can't help God fulfill your promise. That's part of the false narrative. That the, the biblical stories are just about different people who found their purpose or whatever. And so you've got to learn how to find your purpose and your promise and in your promised land and all this kind of nonsense. Uh-huh. They
1: tried, and then God said, Sarah's going to have a baby. And Sarah's, I'm old.
0: Like, God, come on. She laughs. Notice she's, he's not reading the biblical text. This is his own summary of it and an absolutely skewed version of it.
1: And God says, you laughed. And she said, no, I didn't. And then she lied. (laughs) She laughed at God and lied about it. Yet God, when you look at the Hebrews book, when you look at her, she's a great woman of faith. Abraham lied too. Abraham told the king that she's my, just say that you're my sister. I mean, it's crazy. And then the king found out that it wasn't just his sister, that she was his wife and Why did you lie to me? Like, you've you've condemned all of us. Get out of here. Abraham lied, but he goes down as the father of faith. And God's book is different than our book. He's really amazing. Way more amazing than we think or than we know. But when Isaac is concerned, Isaac took first place in Abraham's heart. And God said, you're going to sacrifice your son.
0: Now, no biblical text anywhere in Genesis says that that Isaac took first place in Abraham's heart. Therefore, God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. He just made that up. It's not in the text. It's not there at all. In fact, the, um, you know, the only reason why we're given in Scripture is that God tested Abraham's faith. Faith. It doesn't say that that God was somehow saying, you know what, I'm, I'm sick and tired of, of Isaac taking a first place in your life over me, so I'm going to have you go and sacrifice him to me. Yeah, no text says that. So now he's twisted the story of Abraham in order to make it fit his narrative. And Todd White's narrative is about Todd White and how holy he is, and how he glows in the dark, and how he never, never, never never sins anymore. Never has problems with any of the old vices that he had problems with. Mm-hmm. I call me skeptical, but uh, I don't believe it for a second, because I know what First John says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, Todd White's deceiving himself. Why? Because Isaac had now taken the place
1: that only God should have.
0: Again, no text says that. He just added it in.
1: And nobody can take first place in your life that only Jesus should have. So when I got rescued, when I got saved, my, my wife that we got married, my kid that I had that I destroyed her life for seven and a half years, they took second place. And that was really hard, especially for my
0: wife, because I would hang out. Again, note the sappy music playing in the background. The emotional manipulation continues, because that keyboard is lending credibility to the sincerity of what Todd White is saying. Mm -hmm. But he's not speaking the truth. He's actually speaking lies and twisting God's word in the process. And it's all in the details of the narrative on the couch and watch TV, I get saved
1: and I'm in my bedroom, I go to like, I go to work, I come home I take a shower because I stank I go and I feed my family, then I go in the bedroom and just be with Jesus and she was not understanding why I had to pull away so much and to top it all off I wanted to pray for everybody like, I believed that God wanted to use me I just believed it I didn't know that I was an evangelist or a prophet or a pastor or a teacher.
0: Or I didn't know. I... He didn't know he was a prophet. I mean, who knew? Who knew? Yeah, if you're a prophet and you hear God's voice, why aren't you hearing God's voice rebuking you for twisting the written word of God and adding to it? Hmm?
1: I just knew that I was a Christian. And I saw the disciples and I'm like, they're just Christians. They're... They're the beginning of the church. And when I read the Bible, that never changed. It's supposed to say the same. But what I
0: noticed is a lot of people weren't walking like the disciples. It's, just, it's all supposed to say the same. I mean, there was miracles in the time of the apostles and the prophets. So there has to be miracles today because nothing's ever changed. That's the narrative. Uh huh. And yet, sign gifts are a very rare thing in Scripture. And they're usually given to support those who are the authors of scripture very rare very rare in the bible and i was like well
1: i'm going to regardless of who comes with me and no one would come with me but i'm like i'm going after this with everything i am it doesn't matter i was lost now i'm found like i mean it's that simple i was completely lost and then i got completely found i was completely dark you were too People are like, well, you're lucky. You have an amazing testimony. I wish I was a drug addict. What is wrong with you? No, you don't. People say, well, you don't get it. I grew up in the church. I have a lot to unlearn. You cannot unlearn
0: anything. The more you try to... Un- so apparently we're getting these weird straw man arguments against the things that he's supposedly teaching from churchy people. You know what I mean? So how is it that this guy who hasn't grown up in the church at all but was a pagan drug user and stuff, is he's just so radically saved that he doesn't sin anymore?
1: The more you realize you learn way more than
0: you thought you learned when you
1: learned it. And now you have to unlearn it. It's impossible. You cannot unlearn it. God didn't say, be unlearned in the spirit of your mind. God didn't say, don't be conformed to this world, but be unlearned.
0: So that you... so he takes the straw man argument and then brings it into the scriptures, which is part of the technique of this false narrative, which is nonsense. You know, oh, he's really giving it to the people who are who are basically saying, no, this can't be true, this can't be true. He's really given it to them. No, he hasn't. This is a straw man argument. He's created these fictitious critics and then defeated their fictitious arguments from these fictitious people you know, to make his theology, oh, it's just so true, man. He's so sincere and authentic, man. You can't question this guy. He's holy. He practically walks on water, and then he operates in the miraculous like other people You know, breathe and stuff prove what the will of god is no he said be
1: ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can approve god's will you can't go back and fix all that stuff you can't even go back and relearn you need to pull away into the secret place and got god get god to breathe
0: on what's in you ah see that's what i've been doing wrong i forgot to go into the secret place and have god breathe on what's in me you see, it's like, what on earth are you talking about? And see, here's the thing. This is a, this the narrative. The whole narrative itself is bi- uh, not even biblical. The whole narrative is nonsense. and And yet everyone there is believing it. Why? Because the whole environment is set up for manipulation. He's manipulating them. He's not sinless. <laughs> In fact... It wouldn't surprise me if Todd White got drunk last weekend, you know, because guys who talk like this, they are con men. He's conning them. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And no scripture says that you need to go into the secret place so that God can breathe on the stuff that's inside of you so that whammo, blammo, you can be holy like Todd White. Uh Uh-huh. Stop using your past as a crutch to remain bound to religion what bound sh- to religion This sounds like a completely different religion than Christianity. need is an encounter with God oh you need an encounter with the living God He's- and of course he is saying and claiming that he has already had this encounter. You want to be holy like him, you want to just you know have you know sin cut off of you like he has. Well, you got to have the encounter that he's had. No scripture says this. The God of the dead, he's the God of the living. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.
1: He's still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, John the Baptist baptized people under repentance. Baptized people under repentance. And Jesus went down into that river. But when Jesus went down there, he didn't need to repent. He went down there to fulfill righteousness. And we've been hitting this and pounding this. If you weren't at the school, it would be good to get it. Because there's a lot of stuff that's foundational that I'm kind of briefly touching a little bit and I don't have time to go over it all. I actually do, but I'm not going to. Because we'll be here till tomorrow. And this is a church that's going to hold service in the morning. It is. Jesus... Came down to that river. John's baptizing people. John was to prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus came down there. And when he saw John, he says to John, I need you to baptize me. John says, I need your baptism. See, whether you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit or not, there's more. Oh. The disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day. More what? More what exactly? And they went into the house. They were in there. They like, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants boldness grant to your service your servants that with all boldness they might preach your word you confirming with miracles and signs following in the name of your holy servant jesus christ and they had a one house earthquake i promise you that that one house
0: yeah that's not an example oh there's so much more yeah yeah more like in the sense where you can be like sinless and perform miracles daily in your life like Todd White does. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, again, apologize for the length, but it's necessary as we listen to this narrative. This narrative is about Todd White. This narrative isn't about Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. People are not actually being called to repent of their sins and to believe and trust that Jesus Christ has bled and died for them, and then bear fruit in keeping with repentance, which is what Scripture teaches us. This is a totally different sanctification altogether. This is miraculous, spontaneous via encounter, God breathing on you in the holy place, and you can be sinless like Todd White sanctification, the you know, the super miraculous instantaneous kind. And he, you know, of course, he's the example of it. Uh-huh
1: earthquake is still available today.
0: So whether you speak
1: in tongues, whether you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit or not, it's not a one-time affair. The disciples were filled again and again and again and again and again. And if you're not overflowing everywhere you go, then you're not full.
0: Are you overflowing everywhere you go like Todd White does? Again, notice he's been holding himself up as the example. I'm just going to demonstrate
1: something for you. I want to show you. I need a bottle of water. There's another one. Is that sin to mix regular water with Essentia? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Essentia is the best water on the planet, dude. We're like, what is it? It's just water. Okay. Now watch. This bottle right here.
0: That had a cap on it. Now normally, sermon illustrations done right are designed to help illustrate and so people can understand what a biblical text means and says this sermon illustration is without a text he 's apparently just applying a principle here the principle this is a narrative if you would um, example this is uh you know a, a narrative illustration a, a you know an illustration designed to buttress. The narrative that Todd White is putting forward was full, but it's not full. See, even when I put
1: this in here, it's still not full. It's not full. This
0: is full. Yeah, that's full. Yeah. No, no, no. We have to get this. Sorry. Why do I need to get this? He just took two bottles of water and filled one all the way to the top. Sermon illustrations usually are to help us understand a text. What is this helping us understand? His false narrative. Wow. This is full.
1: Do you know that when this is full, it's full. Do you know that when the devil squeezes you,
0: this is what should happen. And he squeezes the water bottle, and out comes the water. See, when the devil squeezes you, this is what should happen. Which biblical text are you helping us understand there, Todd? You're not. You've put forward your own narrative, and this narrative is all about you. It's not about Jesus. And then Jesus just goes like this again. Yeah, Jesus will fill you back up, apparently. And for that, he gets applause. Why, I don't know.
1: See, when we squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out. And when we squeeze an apple, apple juice comes out. If I squeezed an orange and apple juice came out, it would be completely weird. It would be. It's an orange It should be equally as strange that when a
0: Christian gets squeezed, everything but Jesus comes out. What does that even mean? It sounds so profound, but what does it even mean? Oh, oh man, when I get squeezed, uh, Jesus comes out of me. (laughs) What am I, like a Jesus Twinkie? You know, and, and Jesus is the really cool sweet center of my life? I mean, what this is nonsense. Which biblical text teaches this? Everyone's fawning over the pseudo-profundity, but he's not actually saying anything, and the whole narrative is completely different than the biblical narrative. What are you full of?
1: Because when you get squeezed and the devil gets Jesus all over him,
0: he gets tired of squeezing. <laughs> Again, this is absurd. This is nonsense. The man is trafficking in weird vagaries and pseudo-profundities. We have to have an encounter with the living God. And there it is again. We have to have this encounter. Have you had this encounter yet? If you haven't had the encounter, well, you know, Todd White's had the encounter. and, and, And see, he doesn't even sin anymore. Uh-huh. So you got to have the encounter, too. If you if you want to be sinless and, and radical, you know, and experience lifestyle Christianity you know, the way Todd White experiences, have you had this encounter
1: yet? You have to encounter him. It's not about feelings.
0: It's about complete electrocution to where you can't function anymore. Right. Have you been totally electrocuted? Again, which text says that I need to do this? Which text says that the apostles had this happen to them? Or the prophets? Where is, wh- which book of the Bible is this actually laid out? Where it says we got to have this encounter in this way. It's,
1: it's about you being touched with God in such a way that you can never be normal in this world again. It's about you being a peculiar people. It's about you being holy and set apart. It's about you being... St-
0: like Todd White. Holy, set apart, you know, and peculiar, and... You know, just totally sold out and sinless. So heavenly
1: minded that you're absolutely earthly incredible. It's about the fire of heaven being upon your life in such a way to where you are burning up
0: so that people don't have to burn for eternity. It's about, it's about you. So it's all about you. It's about you. It's about you. He keeps saying it's about you. That's the problem. The Bible's about Jesus and what he's done for you. The theology, the narrative that Todd White is putting forward is all about him and vicariously also about you because you can be like him. Not being satisfied when it comes to hunger, but it's about
1: you being content. About
0: you, about you, about you.
1: Who God has created you to be because godly contentment is great gain. That means that I know who God created me to be. I know who my father is. I know, Abba! Father, daddy, God, I know that that's my heart. That's
0: kind of NAR talk.
1: But I can only, I can only hunger for something that's available. God wouldn't want me to hunger and thirst
0: unless it was available to me. Again, which biblical text says this? So God wouldn't allow me to hunger and thirst if it wasn't available. What are you talking about? There is this unquenchable hunger inside of me. Listen to me. Right, it's inside of him. It's all about him. The narrative is about you being like Todd White.
1: I need to see every deaf person healed. I need to see every blind person C, I need to see cancer healed every time i need to see limbs grow back on people
4: i need
0: yeah and let me give you an example of i need to see limbs grow back on people um let me uh show you a video
4: this needs to but go yeah, man. Dude,
0: and uh in this video todd white uh it does a a leg lengthening um stick yeah i let's let's just put it that way he's telling uh, Patricia King in this in this bit, you know, about how oh this can't even be explained by science and stuff. Let's, let Todd White, Healing on the Streets is the name of the video. You can find it on YouTube. Check out the quality of the miracles done here by Todd White on the street. Here we go.
4: This is awesome because I knew she had a leg that was shorter. I said, now I'm going to pray for you and Jesus is going to grow your leg out and then I want you to scientifically explain what's going to happen next. Now I want you guys to come and watch because this will be so good. You want to stand right up here okay here's what, you sit there
0: this is a parlor trick by the way uh you know this <laughs> there's been guys who've debunked this so easily it's ridiculous but basically the way it's done is you just kind of slip the shoe one shoe out a little farther than the other and you know off the heel and then you push it back and it, it creates the appearance that ah, oh, a leg is being lengthened here's to- what i
4: want you to do i want you to give me your, sh- your feet you nope you off? don't have to take off nope Okay, okay. so here's what I know. I know what I hear in my heart, and I'm hearing that one of your legs is shorter than the other. By a significant
0: oh, yeah. He heard this in his heart. Yeah,
4: right. Amount, and you already knew that, right? Okay, so here I'm going to give you something to figure out scientifically. Because this will blow you away. Because cause you're into science, and, and I think it's amazing that God's given
0: you... This is a, no, this is just scientifically. Just blow your mind here, yeah.
4: It's an amazing mind. It's good. But right now, God's going to grow your leg out. Because I'm going to command your bones to grow. And your ligaments and your tendons. And your back's going to be healed and your leg's going to grow out. So that right there is amazing. And he loves you. okay? Okay?
0: Yeah, so the old leg lengthening trick. Yeah, with uh, down below, or, or actually in the com- in the description of this episode of Fighting for the Faith, we will put a link up to uh, a uh, program that was done by a magician where they show how all of these tricks are done. This isn't a miracle, and this is the kind of stuff that Todd White traffics in. If he, I, I have an unquenchable desire to see all the dead raised. How many dead have he ra- has he raised? How many people can legitimately say that they no longer have stage 4 cancer because of Todd White? Or how many people can say that their legs have grown, you know, because of Todd White? And I have the medical proof for it. The guy is a con man. He's trafficking in miraculous instantaneous sanctification and winding himself up into the overall charismatic Uh, narrative about modern day signs and wonders and stuff like that and so if we yeah cancer's gone you know and people are healed of this then i can be healed of all of my previous vices and walk purely before god see dead
1: people raised i need to see poor people have the gospel preached to them and i'm not gonna settle for anything less than what the gospel says is possible
0: Yeah, he's so brave, he's not going to settle. So I think you get the idea. You know, what we're dealing with here is a completely false narrative. And he twists the scriptures in order to force them to fit into his false narrative. And he's not preaching Christ, he's preaching himself. And the product that he's selling is instantaneous, miraculous sanctification and holiness, and release from whatever sins you are having a problem with. And yet he's, (laughs) again, it just wouldn't surprise me if you scratch the surface of this fellow and find that this whole holiness facade that he's putting forward isn't even real. And the reason for it is simple, because I can tell you right now, based on what I've heard him say and what Scripture says, two totally different things if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves so this man is self deceived and he is deceiving and uh, this is a fellow that if you have a friend of yours who is saying oh you got to come with me and listen to todd white you need to sit him down and say this guy's a con man this guy is in the same camp as the prosperity heretics he's not he's not though trafficking in prosperity he 's holding himself up as the example of the guy who no longer sins, the guy who's miraculously been set free and is one hundred percent fully devoted to Jesus and stuff and yet, if he were, why does he twist god 's words so badly? Why does he have to use manipulation techniques? Why is it that when you 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 know look on YouTube and look for him out on the streets performing miracles that over and again they 're not real miraculous signs and wonders but just magicians' parlor tricks and stuff like that. The guy is as phony as a three-dollar bill. He's selling sanctification snake oil, and of course, he's the one who can prove by his, you know, his testimony that you know the product he's selling is it works because he's the one who's proof that it works. No, he's not telling the truth. Pay attention to Scripture. It points to Jesus, not Todd White, and not to you. All right, we're up on our second break. Apologize for how long this episode is. It's just how these think along episodes go. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pyro Christian. When we come back, Jurgen Mathesius, C3 Church. Again, kind of thinking along as we kind of examine this narrative thing. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
1: This might feel like theological waterboarding, but you'll get
0: used to it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. (laughs) You're
3: listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey, everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious it's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's it's coffee there's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar so not only does it taste insanely good but it's also liturgical somehow all you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient resealable bag with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Uh, That's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E.coffee. Rex out!
0: Faith sermon review time again we're paying attention to the narrative some of the narrative is inferred gotta pay attention to it though because the narrative is so different than the narrative laid out in scripture all right let's do this right. Thank <laughs> you. Good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via C3 Church, San Diego. Jurgen Mathesius presiding. name of the sermon is Stretch Into and Listen to the Description of the Sermon. In this life, God wants us to stretch into a new possibility. Allowing us to experience His best for our lives by changing our way of thinking. Where does the Bible say that? Answer, it doesn't. This is a totally different narrative. Christ, according to Scripture, wants you to repent of your sins. To bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Here jürgen is basically making it sound god wants us to stretch into a new possibility what's a what's a new possibility i don't know i don't know what a new possibility is but none of this makes any biblical sense and the deception is the narrative itself that's where the falsity lies and he's going to twist scripture in order to make it conform to this narrative so let me go ahead and back off on the music. Without any further ado, here's Jürgen Mathesius and Stretch Into.
5: Well, the title of my message this morning is Stretch Into. Stretch Into. Because, uh, you know, I believe that the stretch series that we're doing is not just about stretching for stretch sake. That there is something that, is, that we're wanting you to stretch into.
0: Yeah, don't just stretch for the sake of stretching. I mean, I never do that anyway, but, yeah, you've you got
5: to s- s- not just stretch. you got to stretch into. R- right. There's something beyond where you're at right now. Jesus, when he preached, when he sent the disciples out, he says, go out and preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is present, but it's not, it's not kind of under your feet. It's at hand, and if you'll... Str-
0: no, no, no. <laughs> See, already he's twisting the scriptures. The, 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 Jesus didn't say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, So, and the reason why is because he wants you to stretch into it. So what he's done is he's put forward a false narrative. Already it's a very compressed false narrative. that God wants you to stretch into it, and so he's twisted the scriptures. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that's by virtue of the fact that the king himself is present. Uh-huh. Himself, Jesus. It's not Jesus didn't say the kingdom of heaven is at hand because I want you to not expect me to just put it in your hand, but I want you to stretch for it.
5: He's totally twisting scripture here. Etch. You'll lay hold of it. Sometimes when we think of stretch, we think of, okay, well, we stretch like an elastic band only to have it return to its original size. But this is not the stretch we're talking about. We're talking about a, a stretch that takes you across a Red Sea into a promised land. We're talking about a a stretch that is...
0: What? A a stretch that takes you across a Red Sea. So notice the narrative now is literally making God's word totally null and void and meaningless. It's like gobbledygook.
5: That is going to depart from where you are right now, from what is comfortable and convenient into a place through uncomfortable into what God has for you. I've yet to find that God brings the kingdom to me. And just delivers it on a, on a plate. You know, I've yet, I've, we've had so many FedEx deliveries and UPS, not one of them, ding dong, and uh, kingdom of God has arrived. Oh, thank you. I don't even have to do something. I'll go back to sitting on the sofa eating corn chips. Uh, didn't happen. I found that the, you know, even Jesus, when he first borrowed Simon Peter's boat, after, after, you know, leasing Simon Peter's boat for free, says, hey, I'm going to put some money in your pocket. Instead of going and whistling and having the fish come and jump into Peter's boat. No, no, Peter has to launch out into the deep and let down his nets for a catch. And Simon Peter's like, you know, Master, we've toiled all night, caught nothing. At nighttime, when you throw the net out, the fish don't see it, it's dark. But during the day, they'll see the the net come and they scramble. He says, nevertheless, there's something about your word. So Peter stretched, he launched out into the deep. God could have brought the fish from the deep into the shallow. No, no, he has to get you from the shallow into the deep. He's going to get you. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. He's going to get you from the shallow into the deep. I'm not sure if you ever saw the movie Shallow Hell, but you don't want to be a shallow hell Christian. You don't want to be a shallow hell husband. You don't want to be a shallow hell giver. You, 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 you want to be a deep. You want to go into the deep. So anyway, let me pray and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word and I thank you for these magnificent people, both present here and those watching online. And I ask, Lord, that this would be a word in season to equip, empower, and resource these great sons and daughters, Father, to possess all that you have for them. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to read from the book of Exodus, chapter 14. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. We're going to go to Exodus, chapter 14, verse 10. As you're turning there, let me just kind of uh, lay up what's happened up till this point of the reading. For 400 years, Israel have been slaves in Egypt. Egypt had a slave labor force and it was the the Israelites. They were beaten, they were exploited, their children were thrown into the Nile River. They were really, really badly mistreated and uh, they felt the sting of the whip on their backs. Uh, Slavery is where you work, but there's no salary. There's a lot of people that uh, they work just to live. And there's a thing, there's a, there's a word called a saculum. And a saculum is basically a human life cycle. And it's about a hundred years. And uh, there's a, a powerful book called The Fourth Turning. And The Fourth Turning is about uh, two men who studied the last 4,000 years of civilization. And find out there's some very interesting patterns that happen every hundred years. And basically the pattern is this, that we don't learn from history. There's a, there's an arrogance and a define, defiance and a stubbornness because of our sinful nature, so we repeat the same mistakes every century, every century, you know, wars and everything else and exploitation. And so, so there's a there's a there's a there's a cycle, there's a secular that happens. And unfortunately, we don't we don't learn. So thank God we're sitting in church where we can actually have a breakthrough today. And so, uh, so the children of Israel four hundred years. Ten generations. So God brings ten judgments on the, for the ten generations, one for every generation, on Pharaoh. Now Pharaoh lets the people go. But the people go out and they, they leave slavery. They leave this land, but now they're wandering through a wilderness. There are a lot of people there that still just work to live. And can I just tell you, God has got more than you than just to spend your hundred years living on this planet just to exist, just to exist. You're created for significance. You're created for purpose. You were created by a God who, who had intent. Now,
0: this is, this is also part of the false narrative. Oh, you, you are created for significance. And yet when I read Scripture, when it comes to the lists of good works that we as Christians are called to do, given in the epistles, um, slaves, what are they told to do? To obey their masters as if obeying Christ Himself. How come slaves of the ancient world didn't get to experience significance? Answer, because this narrative is false. This is not a promise given by God. What He is doing is scratching itching ears and telling people what their sinful w- hearts want to hear. But they don't want to hear the truth of repentance and the forgiveness of sins and true holiness and sanctification. No, they want to be told that they are important, that they are significant, and that God's all about making them significant. That's what he's really up to. This is what it means to scratch itching ears. And the ear scratching happens in the narrative.
5: There is nothing on this planet that does not exist without design. The the, the the pulpit here exists because someone imagined a place where I could rest my notes and my Bible and so it began in the imagination and began in the invisible dimension and now it exists in the physical dimension. Your iPhone, your, your, your phone once existed in the imagination of Steve Jobs, today you hold it in your hand. The chair that you're sitting on, this building, everything first exists in an invisible realm. Then we sit down with an architect and we communicate to an architect... What we see in our minds are, what we see in our imagination, and then the architect's job is to hear that and then translate it to something that can begin to be constructed so we begin to see it physically. We begin to see it material, materialize in front of us when we first visualize. You need to understand that you are the materialization of the visualization of God. That before you became material, God saw you in his vision. You were created for significance. The devil is a liar. There, is, there are 7 billion people on the planet. Not one other person can open your phone. The real estate between that joint there, are you kidding me? Because you're unique. The devil is a liar. You are unique. You are created with identity. You are created with destiny. You are created with purpose. And you are created with intention.
0: So, you, 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 you. And notice here, it, uh, this is creation without discussing the fall. The problem is not that we were created. The problem is is that we fell and rebelled against God. And now, since Adam and Eve have rebelled against God, each and every one of us is created now in sin, born in trespasses, in sins, with a sinful nature that is at war with God, that seeks its own will rather than God's will. And he's not discussing any of that. He's just telling people, oh, you have a purpose. God created you with destiny so that you can be an influence and affluence and, and the bee's knees and destiny and all this kind of stuff, basically puffing up their egos rather than calling them to repentance. And the whole narrative is a demonic narrative to distract people from the truth of their sinfulness
5: and their need for a savior. Children of Israel were just existing, and now God delivers them, and now they're journeying. And uh, one thing you'll find about God is God is a boy. How do I know he's a boy? Because he's terrible with details, brilliant with big picture. Men don't like details, you know. Women like details. Men don't, you know. So, so, so they get to an impasse. They get to a Red Sea. The Red Sea. On the other side of the Red Sea is the Promised Land. But they go and they stop. Oh, sugar! This is a Red Sea. They didn't bring kittens. Not like God says, And bring with the canoes. They're in a Red Sea without a paddle, without a canoe, without a you know ship-faring vessel. They got, and then it gets worse. The ground begins to rumble, little rocks are moving and they turn around and there's this dust behind them. This dust cloud going up into the sky as Pharaoh wha, wha, is driving his chariots, 900 iron chariots with his entire army chum, chum, marching behind. Because Pharaoh's thinking, what have I done? I've been bullied into giving up my labor force. Come Monday, who's going to be cleaning the streets? Come Monday, who's going to be looking after my vineyards and my fountains and my gardens and my construction projects? Who's going to be taking out the trash? I just got rid of my slave. I'm going after and I'm going to take back my slave labor force. Now they're standing at the Red Sea. God did not mention the Red Sea. Moses wasn't aware of the Red Sea. The Israelites, all they know is God's delivering us out of Egypt, taking us to a land flowing with milk and honey, milk and honey. You never mention anything about it. You will find, you will find that God will speak to you a promise, but he'll admit the detail of the journey. So this is a narrative
0: that basically says, see, the whole purpose of Scripture is to show you what to do when God gives you your purpose and you start experiencing uh, bizarre things like, you know, Red Sea moments in your life and stuff. <laughs> yeah, see, the narrative is all about you rather than about Christ and what he has done for you. You've now become the center of Scripture.
5: Listen, the journey isn't because God didn't think it through. The journey isn't because God was completely, oh, don't, guy forgot about the Red Sea. Why did I put a sea there? I wanted to make a red one. It should have stood out. <laughs> the Red Sea was there. God knew it was there. Because the Red Sea would reveal. It would reveal the power of God. So that they would see that the God who was with them. Is greater than any adversity is greater than any enemy, is greater than any fortified structure coming against them. God is going to take you from where you are into what he has for you, but you've got to understand you're going to have some Red Sea moments. You're g- this is utter nonsense. The,
0: by the way, the Red Sea, according to the New Testament, is type and shadow of baptism. Yeah, read First Peter. It is a type and shadow of baptism. That's the purpose of the Red Sea. He's now saying, oh, you see, God's going to give you destiny, and you're going to have a life that's important and influential and affluential, and you you have destiny, and oh, now that you have destiny, God's not going to give you all the details, but you're going to have some Red Sea moments. Aren't you important? This is utter narcissistic nonsense. And it's in the narrative.
5: have some challenging times. The challenging times are not the fat lady singing, telling you it's over. The challenging times are moments where God is going to forge in you undeniably. God is bigger than a Red Sea. The God is able. The same God who delivered me from the mouth of the lion and from the paw of the bear is the same God who will take down this Goliath. God is more concerned with building your faith. The Bible says that we we inherit the kingdom or we possess the promises by faith through patience. So God is is at work to build your faith. We don't want God to build our faith. We want him to fluff our pillow. Can't you just do it, oh God? He's like, no, no, I'm going to do it, but through you. Well, what's the lever? What's the mechanism that you're going to, through your faith? Oh, okay. (laughs) The number one rebuke of Jesus with his disciples was, Oh, ye of little faith, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bring the boy to me? Jesus' constant rebuke to the disciples was their lack of faith. Even the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. And it's interesting, Jesus didn't just say, pull out his magic wand and go, Faith, be increased. And then all of a sudden, Thomas started stopped doubting, started believing. Jesus said, if you ha- have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain. In other words, Jesus is saying, the way that you increase your faith is what comes out of your mouth. He says, if you say to this mountain... <laughs>
0: So the way you increase your faith magically is by your own words. Again, this is not true. All of these little doctrines are designed to support the false narrative that he is spewing. But he's not exegeting any biblical text, especially anyone from Exodus.
5: Because we don't say to the mountain. We say about the mountain. Well, Pastor, you know, I can't fulfill my vision bill because my, my mountain. Let me describe to you my mountain. Well, you know, our marriage really isn't good. Let me describe my mountain. Mat- no, no, no. Jesus didn't say, if you speak about the mountain, you'll increase your faith. You increase your faith by speaking to your mountain. You've got to speak to... Anyway, so I'm getting sidetracked. So let me read it. So, so they're at the Red Sea. They're at the Red Sea. Verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. Everyone say afraid. So they were very afraid. Can I just say this? That fear, fear is a lens. Fear is a lens that distorts reality. The Bible says that God has not given you or I a spirit of fear. One of the biggest battles that I found is that fear is is always following me. Like a bad smell. Fear is just—it's just there. Faith, I need to activate. I need to try and draw faith, but fear is always. I'm here. I'm like, I know you're here. Will you leave already? And then it pretends to leave, but it just kind of hides. And then I'm still here. I'm like, will you get? But fear, what it wants to do is wants to close. It wants to cloak your your eyes to give you a distorted view of reality. God has not given you a spirit of fear. So when God, yeah.
0: Since when did fear have its own mind and have its own motives? Fear wants to. Fear wants to. I know the devil is a being that has a will. I have a will. You could talk about the collective will of the world. But when did fear begin to have its own will and desires and plans and things like that? I'm not familiar with the text that talk about fear as having its own mind. Again, false
5: Narrative. God said to me, I want you to buy, you know, Desconso, uh, th- th- our new building. If I was honest with you, I went and looked at it just because Dr. Matt and Michaela said, oh, pastor, you got to look at this building. And Matt's,
0: so God told you to buy that?
5: On everything. And I knew if I didn't look at it, he wouldn't leave me alone. So I thought, I'll, you know, greatest way to shut him up, I'll go and look at it. So I'm like, yeah, I'll look at it. And so I drive up there, and, uh, and I look at As soon as I walk on there, God says, I want you to buy it. And I'm like, hang on a minute, God. Uh, every other building we've bought, we've bought because we had the money. We had the deposit. And God says, yeah, this is the first building I've asked you to buy in your 12 years that you don't have the money. I'm like, exactly. We don't have the money. He goes, did you have the money when you moved here? I said, well, no. He goes, yeah, I'm trying to get you back.
0: Notice how the narrative makes, you know, uh, Juergen, somebody that, well, I mean, that we can only aspire to. I mean, does God talk to you conversationally like he talks to Juergen? I mean, the, the, I mean, so since God conversationally talks with Jürgen, the narrative then kind of implied is that everything he's saying during the sermon is straight up true, because if it weren't, God would be telling him to knock it off, you know?
5: To your first love. I'm trying to get you back to that childlike faith that left everything in Australia and believe me, because it's, 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 sometimes it's so subtle we don't even realize, I shifted my faith from my God shall supply all my needs to, well, we've got all these resources in the bank now that can supply all our needs. And, and we can do whatever the bank tells us and we can do whatever our, you know, since when did God lose power? Since when did God say, oh, man, I'm poop? you know, just you guys go on from here, I can't, you know, just leave me here in the desert, you know, and... So God's like, so I need you to buy it. You don't have the money for it, but do you still have faith in me? I just want to know. Are you still? And so I knew that I had to take that, that step. And so, so fear was there trying to tell me not to do it. But I've made a decision. I ain't going to let fear put a lens over my life to distort reality. Look at the world through the eyes of faith. So anyway, so Yeah, you know, that, that fear thing. I mean, it's so smart.
0: I mean, I had no idea that it even had intelligence, but apparently it does, you know. They
5: were afraid. Watch this. They were afraid. The problem with fear is, is not that it alters your perception. The problem with, with fear is that it has a voice. God, Nowhere in the Bible does it say, for God did not give you an emotion of fear.
0: Yeah, that's, again, this is just a weird way of approaching the text. Well, it didn't say this, so it's got to mean this. Which text are you exegeting again, Juergen? Because I don't think you really are.
5: It doesn't say that. It says, for God did not give you a spirit. Fear is a spirit. Fear is a spirit that has a voice. All right, man, golly gee, all right. Okay, so what's this? So they were afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because fear has a voice, they said to Moses, because there was no graves in Egypt, have you taken us out to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? Well, funny enough, because when I read my Bible, that's not the word. When I read my Bible, you were crying out to God because of your evil taskmasters throwing your babies in the river. You guys working all day, having no land of your own, having no—you're serving someone else's vineyard. You know, you know, you were crying out, complaining, and now I said, "No, no, we like that." See, here's here's one of the great tragedies with human nature: is that, that humans acclimate. We acclimate. I was in uh, I was in uh, Australia a few weeks ago. And surfing on the Sunshine Coast, I'm out in trunks because the water was 74, 74 Fahrenheit. Everyone there is in, in wetsuits. So this guy, guy looks at me and goes, mate, <laughs> mate, how are you out here without a wedding on, mate? <laughs> and I said, dude, I live in San Diego. He goes, mate, are hey, you out here in boardies, mate? I said, mate, the water's 74. It's like a flipping bath. Now, the air temperature was like 57, but the, it was like a bath every time you went under. But they've acclimated, so they're all in, in, in wetsuits. See, after a while, if you do a lot of heavy lifting, you get calluses on your hands. Yeah. And the calluses is just the way your body acclimates so that it doesn't hurt as much. You look at any gymnast who's on the bar, as they, have, they have big calluses on their hands the sting of the whip after a while, the back callous, everything. And so they're like, listen, we can, we don't want to step into the unknown, into the uncertain, even though we're complaining. Listen, there's a lot of people that would prefer to complain, They would prefer to complain about how things are than change to receive how things could be. Human nature, listen, and it's on the inside of me and it's on the inside of you.
0: He's doing a lot of prognosticating.
5: Yeah, well, if
0: this is true, then this has got to be true. And whoa, and all, you know, this, this is not exegesis. This is not even a Christian sermon. He's not preaching
5: the word. That's the issue. Every single one of us are born with a sinful nature. That's why we need to come into the house of God, hear the word of God. In church, you should have...
0: Yeah, the p- problem is the people there aren't really hearing the
5: word of God, like at all. Moments all the time. Don't... Oh, oh, again! That's important for you to have that, because you need to understand that your greatest enemy is your enemy. And there's some stuff on it. And one of those... It, my greatest
0: enemy is my inner me? Which text says that again, because I thought our
5: adversary was, you know, the devil. Is that I would prefer to complain about how things are, complain about life is fair and life is cruel and people unfair and my dad didn't and my mother wasn't and all of those things rather than actually make the changes to bite the bullet, make the changes to enter into what can be. So the children of Israel, they, they're complaining. So so they complain, remember how it was back in Egypt, is this not the word That we told you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Now that word there I call pathetic. (laughs) Pathetic. This is why we need leadership. Because without leadership, you will put on fear. You'll be afraid. Yeah, that's weird. God sent Moses to
0: lead them out of slavery. So God provided the leadership necessary here. Your point isn't even valid based upon just the immediate context of
5: the text. And you'll, you'll understand that fear wants to put a word in your mouth because it is as you say. It is as you say. Death and life is in the power of the tongue, and those who love will eat its fruit. You eat the fruit of the confession of your mouth. And-
0: yeah, th- th- that's a complete twisting of the Proverbs. Death and life is in the you know, power of the tongue. You know. No, sorry. That's kind of talking about how you know somebody who makes a living with their words kind of thing. Look it up in context here. Yeah, he believes in the magic. Uh, name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. Your, re- your words create your reality heresy, which is a... Totally different, false narrative.
5: Fortunately, death and life. You need leadership to say, mute death, but speak life. Mute death, <laughs> shut down death, and begin to speak life. Even God, Romans 4, 17, even God speaks those things that are not as though they are. The Bible says, Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope, believed, because he dared to believe that God, he was fully persuaded The God who had promised was faithful and able, not considering the deadness of Sarah's womb or the deadness of his own body, but he counted God as faithful who had promised. He put his faith in the word of God. How do I know he put his faith in the word of God? You know, pastor, I just think you're you're just trying to hype up. I don't even know where you're going biblically. Well, let me help you. (laughs) Moses had a confession. Well, I don't read it in the scripture anywhere. Okay, well, let me take you on a journey. See, Abram, he was Abram before he was Abraham. Abram means exalted father. See, he's in the marketplace and, hi, what's your name? My name's Abram. Oh, exalted father. Uh, Exalted father, where are your kids? Uh, I don't have any. Oh, okay. So God visits him. God visits him and says, you're going to change your name. It's like, thank Jesus. Yes, sure. Because <laughs> I ain't got no kids. What are you going to change my name to? Childless man. And God says, nope. We're going to change your name from Abram, exalted father to Abraham. Father of many. So the same guy now has to correct people. Hey, Abram. Oh, it's not Abram anymore. Oh, oh, you changed your name. Oh, Margo and I were talking about how silly it was. Exalted father, you got no kids. <laughs> yeah, good on you. What's it now, Abram? Oh, it's Abraham, father of many. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure it is, Abraham. The guy's been in the sun too long. Marco, I think he hit his head on a steel girder. You know, it's like Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope, believed. He changed what was in his mouth because your mouth is the producer. Increase our faith. If you say to this mountain, what do you say about your life? What do you say about your job? What do you say about God? What do you say about his will for your life? So the first word the fear wants to put in your mouth is, is a death word. It's pathetic. Now watch this. This is why we need leadership. Man, I'm in big trouble because I haven't even got to my points. It's just, I'm just, anyway. All right, so verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Moses said to the people, Moses was a leader, but he was prophetic. We need prophetic leadership. I thank God for John and Becky Heinrichs. I love John and Becky Heinrichs. They are ho-
0: Yeah, I mean, let's just interrupt this text with, a commercial for you know the heinrichs family, okay yeah, because they are part of c is leadership. Uh, you know, so let, let's promote
5: them right now. Yeah, Ghost people. We need Holy Ghost Church. We need Holy Ghost leadership. We need a church that prophesies. We need a church that moves in the power of God. We need a church that believes signs and wonders. We need a church that doesn't preach the status quo and doesn't preach that life is difficult and, hey, just do your best to serve God who's disconnected and indifferent. No, no, God is engaged. He wants to be engaged in your life. He wants to take you from where you are with God. All things are possible. Ephesians 3.20, I believe that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power at work in you. There's a-
0: Yeah, that's a... Uh, all the twistings of scripture here, and now, the, the, I mean, this is another text that's being taken out of context, woven into this narrative, which is only masquerading as an exegesis of Exodus 14 like far from it and everybody's on their feet clapping and applauding because you know i'm the head and not the tail and god's gonna do exceedingly abundantly you know wait till this uh you know one of these people there gets a uh, a prolonged disease you know some kind of protracted illness and they're, you know, they're gonna feel like you know the exceedingly abundantly was clearly a, a bill of goods they were sold
5: power at work in you That our job is to release. So Moses says to the people, do not be afraid. Get rid of that fear lens. Stand still and see. See what he says? Don't be afraid. Get rid of that. Stand still and see. Put on this lens. See the salvation of the Lord. God is a savior God. God is a Savior God. How do I know that? The cross.
0: Yes, Christ is our Savior. God is our Savior. Jesus is God. Okay, but saying that our God is a Savior God is not exactly preaching
5: the gospel. 2,000 years ago, he left heaven and he hung on a cross because he's a savior God. See the salvation of the
0: Lord. With- no, actually, the reason he hung on the cross is because of God's great love for us. God demonstrates his love for us, the scripture says. "In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Not, not because he's a, you know, a savior God. What, like what on earth?
5: He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now listen, at the time of Moses' prophetic word, the sea was still in front and the Egyptians were still gaining from behind. Nothing changed. Nothing changed visibly. But everything changed spiritually. Amos 3 says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he first reveal his secret to his servants, the prophets. The Bible says that God watches over his word to perform it. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 that God's word never returns to him void. It always accomplishes that for which it is sent out. God's word never returns to him void. It always accomplishes that for which it was sent out. In other words, if the word is not sent, there is nothing to accomplish. If the word is not sent, there is nothing...
0: This has just now reached new levels of absurdity.
5: ...to accomplish. God is not a man that he should lie we used to we used to do business deals business transactions we used to do contracts were irrelevant we spit on a hand and shake hands and we exchange words a man used to be good for his word a man in fact you're you're only as good as your word you are your word and your word is you if if you make a promise and you don't deliver you're a man of, of bankrupt character God is not a man that he should lie. That's why the Bible says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, but the word also was God because God is his word and his word is him. Because when God gives His Word, He doesn't make vain promises. He doesn't just speak imagination, imaginary things. In it. When God sends out His Word, you can take it to the bank. It's not just sent out; it is sent out with the guarantee that God is not a man that He should lie. If God says something. He now listen. In every word from God, it, every word is pregnant with the power to produce what the word says. Every word that God sends out is pregnant with power to produce what the word declares. If you need some help, the introduction of God in your Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be light, and light was. And God said, let there be a ferment, and firmament was. And God said, let dry ground appear, and dry ground appear. And God said, let the earth bring forth, and the earth brought forth. And God said, let the oceans be filled and streamed with living creatures, and God, said, and, so. and God said, and it was so, and God said, and it was so, and God said, and it was so. For the devil to interrupt this, God had... The devil had to come and say, has God really said? Because he knows if he can just put a wedge in between what God has said, then you won't inherit what God said. So he puts a wedge in there so you don't believe what God said.
0: Now, it's true that the devil attacks the word of God and wants us to doubt it and not believe it, and he twists it and mangles it. But, yeah, this narrative is something more akin to magic.
5: So right now we have the pathetic, which comes from... Letting fear have a voice. Then we have the prophetic, which is Moses is the man of God, his job to deliver, but nothing's changed. Now watch this. God gets in on this. Verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, the next verse. And the Lord said to Moses, and I love this. Oh, one of my favorite scriptures, Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, can I just do the action? And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Because the direction of their life up till this point was what? They didn't want to go forward. What were they talking about? We want to go back. There's something on the inside of you that prefers to live with the devil you know. We have people walk out, and I, I, I really butchered this message in the 8.30, and we lost a few folks, but uh, thank you, Yvette. You're so lovely. I felt like I butchered it. Thank God the 8.30 is not being podcast. It was like I was out the back with uh, Prozac and antidepressants. And... But anyway, uh, there's something in us that, that just prefers to go back. We prefer to go
0: back to the. So notice he's engaging in what we call narcissism. This apparently is a story all about you know the children of Israel being given a destiny and the travails and difficulties they experienced while on the journey towards their destiny. And so as you're heading towards your destiny, you're going to have your Red Sea moments. You're going to have your moments when you're want you're going to want to go back, but God's going to say you need to go forward. This is all narcissistic nonsense, and this is not exegesis. This is scratching, itching ears at its worst.
5: Devil we know because we know that devil. than the God of the unknown. Abraham is the father of faith because the Bible says that God sent him out without telling him where he was going. The Bible says Abraham by faith sojourned. Believing for a city whose builder and maker was God, not knowing where he was going. God, God wants to take you into the unknown. Why? So that you'll see what you've never seen before. Yeah.
0: Which text says that God wants to take me into the unknown so that I'll see what I've never seen before? And what does that have to do with Abraham? <laughs> so, I mean – this basically makes you the center of the, uh, the biblical universe, and the, really all the Bible is is a handbook on how to achieve your God-given prophetic destiny once you've uh, heard the voice of God telling you what it is, which, again, is a false narrative.
5: So that you'll experience what you've never experienced before, so that a Colin and Melissa can live in what they've never lived in before. Then. Their new home is a home that a few years ago they would, have, they would have not possibly had the courage to dream. But as they sat in meeting after meeting and
0: were generous. Who are these people and what are they doing in this biblical text?
5: God's kingdom. The spirit of God would come back and say, come on, dream, son dream daughter
0: what so god was telling him to dream right yeah which text oh yeah no text says this but
5: what what is come on dream bigger dream miraculous dream god has got more for you so god now speaks watch what he says why do you cry to me tell the children of israel to go forward go forward don't go back don't go back to your old don't go back to to dysfunction don't go back to that addiction don't go back to that spousal abuse don't yeah Tell the children of
0: Israel to go forward is not about you overcoming addiction or anything
5: like that. Go back to that dead-end job. Don't go back to, well, you know, at least it was, you know, put a paycheck and put food on. No, no. Don't go back to that. Go forward. God's got something for you. Go forward. Now watch this. Go forward. But you lift up your rod and stretch. Everyone say stretch. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it.
0: Right, so because God told Moses to stretch his hand over the sea, you got to stretch too! Utter, what's the application look like then for this? I mean, is it like the pre-exercise warm-up
5: stretch so that you don't,
0: you know, pull
5: a muscle? The children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Now let me give you three quick thoughts because I'm already out of time oh sugar three quick thoughts three quick thoughts okay so so god god is asking you to stretch vision builders about stretch then really where where am i learning that god's telling me to stretch
0: just because moses stretched out his hand god's telling me to stretch by w- what stretch of the imagination did you
5: come up with the stretch of an exegesis it is gift on our church i reckon is vision builders vision builders will produce more breakthrough every year leanne and i sit down like the Higemons and we think okay how are we going to stre- because we, we already gave what we gave last year and that stretch we're already there so let's keep let's every year because stre- i can't ask you to stretch if i'm not stretching
0: and we have a- oh yeah so now he's talking about stretching as far as financially stretching
5: <laughs> the, the stretch gets stretchier we have because of the stretch. I've always found God is in the stretch. He's never in the... Oh, I'm sure you did, yeah. He's always in the stretch. I always want to stretch because I always want to see something. So there are three things you're going to stretch into. Number one, you're going to stretch into a new possibility. What? The reason I chose this rather than stretch into the impossible is because I felt the Holy Ghost say, don't brand it impossible.
0: You felt the Holy Spirit say that, really? Yeah, this is... um... (laughs) You know, blaspheming God's name, taking His name in vain—this is blasphemy from the pulpit. Jesus says, "What is
5: impossible with men is possible with God." So, my job is to make sure that your life is with God. If you get your life with God, what is impossible with men is possible with God. So, when Colin Melissa take people around their home, and they say, "Hang on a minute, you—you you moved here from Seattle, Washington, with just..." Coins in your pocket and a dream in your heart. And now this, how is this even possible? Well, they can say, well, you know, with men, it was impossible. But we made a decision. We wanted to be with God. We want to be with God and see the impossible become possible. All things are possible with God. The question is, are you with God? So God wants to take you to a new realm of possibility. Which text says God
0: wants to take me to a new realm of possibility? Exodus 14 isn't about that.
5: There's the pathetic, there's the prophetic, then there's the powerful. God's word has power. You want to speak God's word? Now, we're going to watch a video. Uh, This video is an awesome video because uh, in Australia they have a marathon. It's a massive marathon. It's 1,100 kilometers, 680 miles. And it starts in Sydney and it finishes in Melbourne. Now, here's the deal. Australia, at this particular time when the video was done, had suffered three years of horrific drought. And there was a a, a farmer, 58 when the drought hit, 61 when he runs in the marathon, who basically had to sell his motorbikes, his tractors, a lot of his equipment, because he had the choice of either sell the equipment to buy produce to keep his cows and his sheep and his cattle alive or let them die and keep. So he had to sell all the equipment. Well, because he had 1800 acres sheep and you know uh, the cows, everything wanders. So him and his dogs had to go and round them up. So he just ran. So he has a TV, an old TV with uh, rabbit ears, which gives him the power to pick up two TV stations. On one of those two TV stations, there was an ad showing the Sydney to Melbourne marathon. And he thought, Well, I run all day on the farm, I'll enter. So he enters. So he turns up at, on the day of competition and he's wearing, in England, they call them galoshes. We call them gum, uh, gum boots down under, but you know, rain, rain boots? What do you call them here? rain boots, you know, so he's, he's wearing those. So they, when they see him turning up in that, they think, oh, he's, you know, he's th- the dad of one of the, you know, entrants. So they take him over to the spectator tent. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm running. And they're like, you're what? No, oh, I- I'm, and so th- th- they follow, and sure enough, his name, Cliff Young, is on the, comp- and they're like, well, where's your, where's your, your running shoes? He goes, oh, I just run in these. <laughs> At the end of day one, he was dead last. And it was quite funny because, you know, he just kind of has this little shuffle. But let's roll the video and and we'll see what happens.
0: I'm not sure what this has to do with anything, but I'm sure it's a feel-good story. Yeah, okay.
5: At 19, now, when I say elite sportsman, you automatically think of a 61-year-old potato farmer wearing gumboots, don't you? Sometimes you have events that sort of uh, tickle a nation's funny bone or something grabs their attention and with Cliff Young it sort of it appealed to us on so many different levels. And he used to run in gumboots, he was the worst dressed sports person we've ever had. These days of course you know Nike would have been there getting very special slick gumboots. Cliff Young was as his name suggested young at heart. He embodied the never-say-die attitude many aspire to, but few achieve.
0: Yeah, see, I mean, this is, he's clearly exemplifying, uh, you know, true Christian sanctification. <laughs> no? What the interesting thing about Cliff Young is, is that he wanted to do it. And
3: it
1: was remarkable what he did. I mean, he didn't cheat, he actually did it.
2: Oh, it's been a very
3: tough run. The hills all the way to here anyway.
5: And day after day, Cliffy Young, the Cliff Young Shuffle, and the whole nation fell in love with him. Incredibly, at age 61, Cliff became the oldest marathon winner, and he took two days off the previous Sydney to Melbourne race record.
3: Do you think that you're going to make it all the way? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm going to run all night tonight, and I hope to finish tomorrow. Tomorrow night, sometime.
5: and he streeted the field. He just ripped them wide right open. Kept going to Melbourne. If they hadn't stopped him, he'd have finished in Perth.
3: Cliff was awarded the first prize of $10,000. He promptly gave two grand to each of the five other runners and kept nothing for himself.
0: An impressive and generous man, that Cliff. Cliff, will you do it again?
4: Will you do it again? Oh, no, I don't understand.
5: In the leader, one of the, one of the runners who had uh, won the year before and placed in the, the year before that uh, basically predicted that he would win. He'd been training all year to win that marathon and he believed that he was going to shave 30 minutes off the record where he was then labelled by the other competitors as arrogant that he would dare say who could be so audacious to shave 30 minutes off. Cliff Young enters and shaves not 30 minutes Not an hour, but shaves two days off the record. How did he shave two days off the record? See, all the other marathon runners who were sponsored by Oakley and Adidas and Nike and everything else were told by all the sports psychologists and the sports medicine people that you have to run this many hours and you've got to continually hydrate and stop and drink, get water and then have complex carbohydrates and then sleep five or six hours at night and then whatever to keep running. When Cliff destroyed, by by the second day of running, he was so far ahead that these runners were getting phone calls from their sponsors saying, you make us look bad, you better get after it." And they couldn't catch him because nobody told Cliff that he had to stop. He thought you had to do it all in one hit. (laughs) So when they interviewed him afterwards saying, did you realize you destroyed the record by two days? He had no idea. And they said, Well, how did you, how did you, and, he, and this is what he said. He said, Well, nobody told me I had to stop.
0: Cue Sappy Music. Uh, this is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now getting ready to descend on the audience and get them to make some kind of a decision. You know, maybe to uh, run the Melbourne to Sydney. Uh, <laughs> Marathon. Who knows what decisions the Lord is calling people. They, they, But they got to stretch into it, you know.
5: Nobody told me I couldn't keep running. Because nobody told him, he just believed that he could run this that 680 miles in three and a half days, and he did it. What things... What things do you believe are impossible? What things have you already programmed into your brain? It took a 61 year old potato farmer. Now I'm not sure if you noticed, but halfway through the race, that they one of the one, someone said, hey, "Would you wear our shoes?" And he's like, "Oh, all right." And put shoes on, and then he had to take his false teeth out, put it because they kept chattering while he was running. But he destroyed all the elite athletes, destroyed the record, destroyed everything because. Nobody told him he couldn't do it. Nobody told him this was impossible. He just, what things do you believe are so. Come on, thank God for a church. Thank God for a church that at times, listen, you feel uncomfortable. At times it's abrasive. At times it agitates you. That's a good church. If you go to church week in and week out and you hear a cute little homily and you never feel challenged, you never feel...
0: Yeah, I mean, if you go to a church where you never feel challenged to, you know, do the impossible. I mean, that's a bad church, apparently. (laughs) This is a weird way to... Where in Scripture are we shown that criteria for deciding what's a good church or a bad church? I can think of the duties of the pastoral office and in uh, the description of how the early church operated and the duties that pastors are supposed to dispense is some kind of a you know yardstick if you would for sorting these things out but what he's saying does i can't think of any biblical text that talks this way
5: you never feel angry at the pastor. Can't believe the pastor. If you never have those, you're in the wrong. You need to be in a church where your, your cage gets rattled sometimes. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we're in the cage. You just need somebody doing this to your cage to say, why am I? Why am I even in? That's flipping. Ca-. I'm get, time to get out of your cage. So God wants to take you into a new possibility. Four lepers. Four lepers. Say, why sit here till we die? There's famine in the city. If we go in the city, we die. If we stay here, we die. Let's go down to the enemy's camp. If we're going to go out, let's go out in a place of glory. So the Bible says these four lepers just get up and they walk down to the enemy camp. But as they go into the enemy camp, the Bible says that God amplified the sound of their feet on the gravel so that the Syrian army heard what they thought was a, a giant army coming against them. And the Bible says they rose up and they fled in fear, leaving all of their tents and all of their spoil. And the famine was broken in one moment because four lepers made a decision. Why
0: sit here till we... No, 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 no. The famine wasn't broken because of four lepers. Again, he didn't even read the biblical text or read out the narrative. They discovered what God had done. They weren't the reason why God did it.
5: God wants to take you into a brand new possibility, but you got to stretch. Why sit here till we die? Yeah,
0: again, which text says God wants to take me into a brand new possibility, but I need to stretch? Which text says I'm supposed to do that?
5: The third rock from the sun, you're not created to just sit here till you die, you're created for an adventure, you're created for risk, you're created to stretch, you're created to step out, you're created to take on an enemy, you're created to do something and enter into a new possibility. And in the 60 seconds I got left, point two and point three, God wants you to stretch into the best, God's best for your life. God's best. Yeah. Which text again says this? you like, listen, I hear testimonies all the time and these are good testimonies, but they're not complete. Let me tell you why. I used to be addicted to drugs. I used to be addicted to alcohol. I used to be addicted to porn. I used to be addicted to gambling. I used to be, I used to be, I used to be, you know, I used to be sick. I used to be, I went through foreclosure. We lost our home and praise God that that's not you anymore. But can I tell you, that's just the beginning. God didn't take the children of Israel out of Egypt and then leave them in the wilderness and say, all right, good luck from here. God be with you. Oh, me that's me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> practice karma. God, did, God didn't just say, hey, well, at least you're no longer a slave. God, it wasn't. God was taking them from slaves to be a nation. It wasn't about no longer a slave. It was about you're going to be a nation. You're going to have your own territory, Israel. And you're going to have some of the best olives, the best produce, the whole world over. You're going to have your own territory. You're going to be, they'd never been a nation before. What things have you never been that you've never seen? The problem with us is we are so familiar with our past, we repeat cycle. We keep repeating the past because it's what's familiar. That's why you're the smartest people in San Diego, because you're allowing God to interrupt. You're allowing God to interrupt the cycles of the past. You don't have to divorce. Just because your parents divorced and your grandparents divorced, you don't have to divorce. Just because you come from third generation, you don't have to live on welfare. Just because you, your parents had failed business, you don't have to This word is an interrupt and it'll begin to interrupt the patterns and the cycles so that you can, you can see something that nobody ever saw before. I've got a 21-year-old son who's one year away from being the first Metesius to graduate with a college degree. Cycles are being broken. Something new is being established. God has got something new. That he's got a best for you. He's got a best for you. As you stretch, you'll enter into God's best. Into, and the last one is a new way of thinking. A new way of thinking. God wants you to stretch into a new way of thinking. In the the wilderness, in the desert, does anybody know what, what bread God gave the children of Israel? Manna. The problem is they developed a manna mentality. A lot of Christians have a manna mentality. Manna was about sustenance. It was not about providence. Manna was about sustenance. It wasn't about abundance. Because the wilderness was temporary. The wilderness was what they were passing through to get into the promised land. They weren't meant to build vineyards. They weren't weren't meant to plant crops there. So God gave them manna. The Bible says it tasted like coriander. And you would think that this creative God every year would come up with, you know, kind of like a new, and this year's manna has got a mango lemon zest. kind Like, he doesn't. So they're complaining about it, them, because like you're meant to get bo- I don't want you to live on manna. Joshua 5 verse 12 says, And when they ate the produce, after they crossed the Jordan River into the land, as soon as they ate the produce of the land, the manna ceased and they saw it no more. For 40 years it was there every day. As soon as they ate the produce of the land, God stopped that. Because he's like, now I've got you to Genesis 8.22. While the earth remains, seed, time and harvest. Cold and heat, day and night, will not cease. While the earth remains, I want you to understand the principle. You have now got your own land that you can sow. That you can reap from, you can sow, you can plow that ground, put your seed in the ground and you can live in abundance, you can live in a harvest. You can bring in such a harvest as you can meet not just your needs, but you can meet the needs of nations around about you, people around about you. Too often we have a manna mentality, just enough to survive, pastor, just enough. God is not a just enough. The day they ate the produce, God says, okay, this season is, this was always temporary. God will sustain you through your wilderness. He'll sustain you through through trial. He'll sustain you through that journey. But his intention, his destination for you. His destination for you is that you live off the good of the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of abundance, a land of overflow. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. And he, uh, my cup overflows. The cup overflows not because God is terrible at pouring. That he starts pouring and then gets distracted and, and then, you know, it's like spilt everywhere. God is, the cup doesn't overflow because God likes stained tablecloths. The cup overflows because it 's not just about you, so that people whose cups are empty can put their cup under your cup as it 's overflowing, and they can get their cup filled, but then after a while they 're going to drink and realize man, my cup 's empty again, How come your cup keeps overflowing? You can say
0: again uh, wh- what exactly are you talking about? People there are clapping as if they know, "Oh my cup is uh, overflowing No this is a biblical." illustration i mean this is a biblical image but he's not even remotely close to explaining what is meant by it i mean again this is just utter absurdity and the narrative is where the error is you buy the narrative and you've missed the whole point of scripture scripture is not about you finding your destiny it's about christ and what he's done to save you
5: real simple psalm 23 verse one the lord is my shepherd I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. His, there's a flow from heaven over my life. Paul writes, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Why do you write that? Because of their generosity. You will find that as you stretch this year, you're not stretching just for stretching sake. You're stretching into a new possibility, into a new realm. You're st-
0: stretching
5: into a new possibility. What on earth? Stretching into God's best for your life, and you're stretching into a new way of thinking. Come on, if you believe that, give God a, a shout this morning.
0: All right, so there it was. Stretch into by uh, Jürgen Mathesius. And boy, what a mess that was. I mean, talk about stretching the narcissistic butter thinly. Yeah, that's exactly uh, what he did there. And again the error was all in the narrative. You buy the narrative and you've uh, you've lost literally what the scriptures are saying and teaching. And so I think you get the point. And again I must reiterate the scriptures are a narrative about what God has done in Christ to save us. It's not about us finding our purpose or fulfilling our dream destiny. It's about Christ fulfilling his purpose so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to the Father. In this life, we are called to take up our, our cross daily and follow Christ, consider ourselves as dead people walking as we journey towards the new heaven and the new earth. Yeah, that's the idea. Christ is going to make all things new. And uh, what we will see and experience in that life a life where we can see Jesus face to face in a life where we do not have the devil literally you know dogging us at every turn you know that that's the thing we're looking forward to which means as a Christian you can experience your worst life now cuz you will You can experience suffering and persecution and hatred. You could even experience terminal illnesses that are taking forever to kill you and still not lose hope because the real narrative gives you hope in Christ for a world that is coming. Because this life is just but a vapor, man. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Our, Our lives, you know, in the eyes of God are a mist. That's how scripture describes them, but these are people who don't preach in that way because they've changed the narrative into personal success, dream destiny, purpose and being the best that you can be right now and not to- and they're not talking about personal holiness when it comes to that at all so you get the idea. So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Fire Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.